Hey everybody, this is Matthew Krause, and you are listening to the podcast, Working Drummer. Today my interview is with drummer Pat McDonald. Pat is best known as the drummer for the legendary Charlie Daniels, and has been touring and recording with Charlie for over 16 years. When Pat first moved to Nashville in the late 1990s, he was at the forefront of a budding community of rock and fusion drummers that were showcasing their styles and country music, and this approach to drumming has served Pat very well in the music business. Pat will be one of the many great drummers that you'll be able to see at the Nashville Drummers Jam 7, December 14th at the Exit Inn here in Nashville, which is a tribute to Alex Van Halen. As always, you can go to workingdrummer.net. You can find us on Twitter at working underscore drummer. We are on Instagram. We're on iTunes where you can subscribe to the podcast and download episodes. You can find us on Facebook where you can leave comments and like the page. Uh, Any of that stuff is really helpful. So here is Pat McDonald. There was a big jazz club, and I ended up getting a job there when I was at Berkeley, and a bunch of people played there. Gad did something there. Uh, Elvin played there, uh, Tony and his band, and they were there for like four nights. So I got to see them every single night. And then on my night off, the manager let me have like the table right next to Tony's hi-hat. I sat from me to you from Tony and watched the whole show. But during the day when nobody was in there, his kit stayed set up. And I was like, fuck, I got to do it. You know, and I went in there and just kind of tapped around. They sounded like shit. Horrible. Isn't that amazing? And when he played them, it was fucking awesome. Gad's kit, the same way. Elvin's kit, same way. It's like, it's here. It's right here, man. I'm telling you, it ain't the gear. It's, it's the hands. It doesn't matter who you are. You, you get a sound, you can you can t- take anything and it'll sound like you. So I believe that, man. Yeah. Because there's, man, you know, I worked worked at Forks <clears throat> yeah. for a couple years, I think is where I first met you. And <clears throat> yeah. I, I worked at uh, Columbus Pro Percussion up in Ohio. I, I, I went there one time. Bissonette did a clinic first time I ever went there. Okay. And, um, man, people would bring, bring in beat-up kits and um, used kits or even out-of-tune kits right out of the box right and that player would come in and sit down and 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 just make them sing mm-hmm. and you're like what i didn't hear that <laughs> yeah when I you know yeah and and sometimes it's not even their sticks you're right yep. it's right from it's, the, it's in your hands just how you hit that's that's amazing so. man well man thanks uh again thanks for no worries. doing this um i think i saw you play with the wooten brothers Probably the year I moved to town in 2000 or 99. Yeah, probably. Yeah. Did you have like a purple Noble and Cooley? I did. I did. I I actually sold that kit. It was a great kit, but um, I bought it years ago down in Florida. And the whole, there was some, I I had a Gretsch kit. I had a a really nice Gretsch kit and I had a house gig and the place that, uh, that I was playing, Leaving it there all the time, I, I'd heard you know Gretsch is not going to make drums anymore. There's just rumors, and Gretsch isn't going to do. Then, and, yeah. and well, what happens if I, if my Gretsch kit gets messed up? Yeah. So I started looking for another kit, yeah. but I wanted something that was the same sort of thin shells, diecast hoops concept that Gretsch did. Right. And at that time, nobody else did it. Right. Star Classic, Tama Star Classics were just starting to happen, mm-hmm. and every, nobody else was doing that. And I thought that was the key. That was the secret to to the sound I like. So I checked out Noble and Cooley and ended up buying them. And I had them for years. 
used them on a bunch of stuff and loved them. But I sold them to a buddy of mine not long ago. They just one of those kits that was it's a shame. It was just stacked up in a corner. I never played it. It's funny because in Columbus that was the vibe. You know, <laughs> hardcore Gretsch players were looking for something in this. They were the in the exact same boat. Yeah, and they went to Noble and Cooley, mm-hmm. and that kind of scratched that itch. They were kind of the only. They were the only people making that same. You know, just going with thin maple shells and the and the die cast. Which yeah. at that point I was a tech guy and was into you know how many freaking threads are on the lugs and. What the, you know? What ply of gum wood versus maple versus birch? Which direction? I could tell you all that stuff. Today, <laughs> if it's round and it's got a head on it, give me a key. Let's do it. Well, man, tell me what's your. Uh, are you off for the uh, the year? Are you guys done? What's Not your quite. Schedule? We have, okay. but I actually was just before I came here was on the on the phone and we have a, a iCal calendar that we share yeah. and dates for next year we're just we're just they come in these waves like 10 or 12 dates just popped up oh geez okay so in next august we'll be here we've got about eh, maybe six or eight more dates left until december third i think 13th is the last one okay and then we're off until late february do you guys do any Christmas shows or anything like that? Not much. Okay. We we have in the past, but we haven't in the last few years. Okay. And and it's, you know, Charlie's getting older, and he's yeah. his ability. Like once we get through a year, he's just kind of like, okay, just a few more shows, and then I can go and shut down for a couple of months and recharge. You know, yeah, so yeah. that's it's rare that they drag him out and. You know, once he's off, once we're off for the winter, we're pretty much free to do what we want to do. Right. For a couple months. How many shows do you think you're doing a year? We're hanging about a hundred and probably five. Okay. And and then the, uh, there's Opry dates kind of interspersed in there too. Right, I don't know right. if you really count those in there, but mm-hmm. we have to do we do several Opry dates every yeah. year too. So. So when you're looking at your year, you can predict pretty much. You can plan months ahead or. Yeah, I, but you well, have to be close by. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, I mean, I, I there's stuff right now already. There's stuff booked into November of next year. Wow! But for the most part, I, I usually don't try to plan more than a month or two out mm-hmm. because a month you can you can generally count on they're not going to throw anything in there. Yeah. This nothing's going to happen that last minute. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it does, mm-hmm. but overall, that's the tough part of doing this. Is it's you just can't plan. It's not like okay, it's January. We're going to save our money and take our what we left saved from Christmas, and we're going to go to Hawaii in June. We're and we're planning for it. And we're saving every piece so we can go to Hawaii. We know Hawaii's coming. Hawaii's coming. With me, no way could you plan that. Right, right. No way. Right. right. You just have because invariably, if it's a weekend in the summer, I'm busy. Right. Or just, an Opry date could come up. Or that was exactly happened. Uh, I was going down to Florida to uh, to spend time with my daughter on. Um, Halloween, and we had the we had Halloween night off, and we had the Friday off before that. And I thought, cool, I can go down and maybe I can even go trick or treating with her, and mm-hmm. blah blah blah, whatever. She turned out going to to go a Taylor Swift concert in Tampa, so she okay. didn't trick or treat anyway. But um, I was thinking, yeah, this is great, and then boom, two Opry dates, Friday and Saturday, popped up in the middle of it. So here I got to sit in town for three days to wait to go play three songs at the Opry, and then turn around, you know, now I can't go home because mm-hmm. there's not enough time. It's kind of a, you know, that, yeah. but it happens. That's just the yeah. nature of the biz. But in between shows or in between blocks of time, what are you planning? How are you? Are you recharging? Are you planning uh, 
trying to hook up with people for, for sessions or teaching or anything like that? Or how do you kind of spend your off time? Now, with my situation with uh, my daughter and that whole thing, most of it revolves around me traveling down to Florida to fulfill my visitation yeah. with her. Yeah. So I'm not really hustling the in-town stuff as much as I used to. Yeah. Um, it's still I still do. And there's, you know, people will call and it's like, yeah, well, I'm not going to, when I'm, when we're out on the road, a lot of the, you know, the Nashville standard is you go out, let's say you leave Thursday night and you get back Sunday morning or Monday morning. Mm -hmm. So you're home Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. Right. Well, that's not really enough time for me to go and do anything in in Florida. Florida, So I'll just stay in town. And if somebody calls and, Hey, I've got a session on Tuesday. Can you do it? I'm wide open. I got nothing. Sure. I got a kit up here. Yeah. I, I got you know, backup stuff here as well as down there. Yeah. So I can do whatever, but nice. I'm, I haven't really been hustling it as much. My sure. focus has been the last couple of years has been trying to get a world wrapped around this going back and forth thing. Yeah. How old's your daughter? She's eight. She's eight. Yeah. Awesome. Third grade. Nice. So, and, uh, very far down in Florida, Southern or she's in, uh, Gulf, Gulf coast, just South of Tampa. Oh, that's not bad. That's yeah. Bad. It's not too bad. Okay, cool. It's cool. a, it's an easy flight. Um, and the flights aren't too generally too expensive. Depends on when you get them and how yeah. how far out you book them. And the drive, yeah, you can do it. It's a it's about an eleven hour drive. Okay, so, borderline. Yeah, it's it's an all day thing. But yeah, the other day I thought we were leaving on Wednesday night, and I hadn't planned to go home. And we played when we did the Opry on Halloween. And I talked to the keyboard player, and I said, "We're leaving Wednesday, right?" And he said, "No, we leave till Thursday." And I'm like, "Well." See ya. I got to sit here Monday, t- Sunday, oh. Monday, Tuesday. Man, I'm going home. So I got up the next morning and just drove and spent two days down, just doing stuff at, at you know at the house and yeah. getting things fixed and moved and taken care of and plumbing and electrical and all that garbage. Oh my gosh! Because I've had the house about a year, but there's a lot of stuff that needs to be done, and I just am not there. Yeah. This winter, I'll have time. Yeah. You know, a lot of people. In this thing, uh, certainly on the outside of the of the business, you know as well as I do that a lot of people they see your they see your name on television, they see you in a magazine, they see your the artist you play with, you're on the CMAs, you're in the background, they see hey I know that guy, I know that they think that those gigs come with a seven figure check and a and a mansion, mm-hmm. and they just don't mm-hmm. at all. Yeah. So you got you have real life. I don't have a maid. I can't afford to pay somebody to take care of my yard. I, I get home and my my lawn's three feet deep. Yeah, I got to yeah. bush hog the thing to cut it to, <laughs> you know. And the neighbors are griping. It's like, man, I'm not here. Yeah, I, I you know, it's yeah. uh, it's just one of those. It's it's not what everybody thinks it is. But well, I, I want to get into more of the Charlie Daniels gig, but okay. um, but briefly, um, you've had this gig, man. It's been a solid thing for a yeah. long time. 16, this is 16 years. 16 years? Yeah, going on 17. Has there ever been a drummer that's been with him that long? Or You know, come to think of it, I, I might be the longest guy now. Because I think prior to me, I think Jack Gavin did it for, I want to say 13 or 14 years. Yeah. And then he left. That's how I got it. And I've been here for 16. Wow. So, and I don't know that, maybe Freddie Edwards possibly but I don't I don't know the timeline on it. I don't think okay. he was around. But he was there in the in the heyday, the seventies and you know late seventies, early eighties, and whatever. And when did um, Charlie start? Oh God, he's been doing it. The Charlie Daniels Band, I think he started in seventy, maybe. Oh my God! He had a ba- he had a band called the Jaguars, way back, and 
you know, I honestly, I don't know if it was it was sixty nine or seventy. I think when he really mm-hmm. started doing it, yeah. and then in it, it did a couple of records, um, and then seventy four they did Fire on the Mountain, which had South's gonna do it again and yeah. all that, and yeah. that was kind of the first Long Hair Country Boy was on that. Right, that was the first time that anybody that he got any like big worldwide press, other than uh, Uneasy Rider, which was early earlier than that. And I, well, I think that album it was maybe called Honey in the Rock or something. But I don't. That's way back. I was a kid. I mean, I wasn't even in elementary school at that point. Wow. wow. So, does he pull from that stuff? I mean, do you some? have to know? Okay. We don't. Like, he doesn't know it, so it's not like he'll. <laughs> it's not like. I mean, seriously, people ask. You know, they come and ask for some obscure B cut off of you know the, a record that he did in 1972. Hey, Charlie, you know, you guys still do that song, so and so, and he's like. Man, I don't even remember how that goes. Gosh, I wish we could do it for you, but we just don't know it. He's real diplomatic about it. But people sometimes go, well, you wrote it. Shouldn't you have it like on your middle Rolodex? It's like, man, I've written a bunch of stuff since then. Yeah. You know, there's just not enough room to keep it all. But he will go back. Like at the beginning of the year, sometimes he'll in the off time he'll he'll go back and listen to the old records and go, you know, that was a cool tune. Maybe we should dig that back out because right. real fans would go, man, they played this, right, you know. Right. So we'll go back and learn some older stuff, and we have the standard stuff that we that we have to do. Mm-hmm. And then there's a there's a list of yeah probably six or eight that are kind of we know them enough to do them on call. So we don't do like Trudy is a big one that everybody seems mm-hmm. to love, mm-hmm. and we get a lot of requests for it, and we don't do it every night. But if somebody hits him in the meet and greet at the right time, and goes Charlie, you going to do Trudy tonight? He might. I don't know. Maybe I'll do. I will see. Yeah. And he'll get on stage and just start it. And it's like, oh, we're doing Trudy tonight. Yeah. But we yeah. we know it enough that we could just wing it. Yeah. You know, yeah. there's a, there's several tunes like that. But he's got God, you know, forty something albums. I know. I, I can't remember that, all that, that stuff. It's almost <laughs> you know? like uh, when McCartney plays, the, his set lists get passed around online. Right. Everyone goes through. Yeah. Uh, uh, I see jets on there, and mm-hmm. and you know all the standards are on there, and all that stuff. And it's like, oh, Venus and Mars. Well, I can't believe you've got, or a girl. And you, yeah, you you look for those little those ones that, that, that if you're a diehard fan and you know the tunes, you know. Right. Yeah, and, and Charlie's been around for so long yeah. that he's going to have those fans. Yeah. The reason I ask is um, when you play for an artist, and your situation is, I think, a little bit unique within Nashville as as far as working with an artist. Yeah. That. You kind of have to know, it, depending on the artist, but if they have more than three or four records, records, albums, cuts, whatever, <laughs> you know what I'm saying. <laughs> Recorded musical performances. <laughs> that uh, you sometimes have to be prepared to know what they're going to pull out of an old recording and, and have it raring yeah. to go. He Generally, he kind of sticks to the stuff that... He knows he wants to do. If he if he does pull one out, he will always give us a heads up. Okay. If he's thinking like like one tune that he has called uh, Carolina, I remember you, and there's this it's a ballad and there's this big recitation thing at the beginning of it and some just keyboard pads and stuff. And it's a real slow tune about him growing up in Car- in Carolina. Yeah. And whenever we play in Carolina, that's one that like. He'll pull us in the dressing room. You guys, can you you guys remember Carolina? You think we can get through it? Yeah, yeah, we can do it because it's home, and he wants to do it for yeah, those people. Yeah. But it's not something we're going to do if we're in Texas. Exactly. So we may not do it. We may do it twice a year, right. if that. Right. You know. So he always gives us like, you guys want to dust? You know, just 
clean that one off and see if you make sure you can get through it and yeah. keep it. Yeah, okay, yeah, we got it. We can do it. Yeah, yeah. run the, run the changes down. What what happens in the bridge? Oh, that's right. It does this enough that we can get through it. You right, know, right. but he always he always gives us a heads up. Very rarely will he just wing something and yeah. have us standing there going, "Well, what are we playing?" We have done that once. That and it actually it's it's funny that we did it. I remember we were in Valdosta, Georgia, and it was a it was a patriotic thing that he had written about uh, the war, about uh, like Desert Storm, whatever. And there was a he, he got on a rant for a while about politicians being involved in making military decisions. We got these guys that are trained. You should. The title of the song I think was "Let Them Win or Bring Them Home." Just let them do. We, we've got them to do this job. Let them do the job, and it'll be over with. Mm-hmm. But we keep mm-hmm. nitpicking it. Yeah. So he's very politically motivated now. Sure. Yeah. And he he actually on stage he said, "I came up with this idea for this thing, and the guys have never heard it, and we're just going to play it." Yeah. And we all just sort of turned our ears on and kind of fumbled through it, yeah. and it became a song. And like when it was done, we all went. Wow, that's cool. And people were going, man, that song, that new song you guys did? It's like, yeah, that's the first time I heard it, too. (laughs) I never played it. But he trusts everybody enough to to know what we need to do. And we all created a a simple little, like running down a demo on a session. Just kind of the first time you kind of go, sounds like it's kind of this. And everybody knows just how much of the corners to hold up. And it it gets done. And then when you get done, you can polish it and go, yeah, how about if we change this and do that? But we played it live on stage. There's 16 bars, and something's coming up now, and yeah. watch for the change. That's that's the cool thing I tell people all the time about, about Nashville in comparison to mm. – about country in comparison to most everything else. Country is generally fairly simple. Mm. You know, harmonically, it's not real deep. We're not talking about Mahavishnu. You're not mm. sitting in with a band that's playing stuff in 17, and, mm-hmm. you know, it's mm-hmm. – it. If you if your ears are dialed in enough – 90% of the country music you hear, even the stuff that they call pop country now, it will telegraph to you where it's going. Mm-hmm. You get to that those crossroads, musical crossroads, where you're going, okay, here comes the bridge, and if it goes to the minor two, I guarantee you we're going to go here. And if it goes to the one, we're going to go here. And you can just feel it. And, it, yeah. and in, the, in the space of a quarter note, yes. you get to go... Yep, we're going over here. Right. You know, because right. it's it's all mapped out for you because it's it's not real complex. And as a drummer, when you switch to the ride symbol and it's maybe it's the wrong decision, yeah. you're thinking the ride would be great on the bridge, and then you go and it's not the bridge, it's still not gonna mess it up. You're not the yeah. bass player playing right. the wrong bridge. Right, exactly. You could we can kind of yeah. color we just yeah. we just, you know, grab another color and paint over what we just did. It doesn't yeah. matter. Yeah, exactly. You know, exactly. so it's it's pretty simple that way. So the Having it's not it's not the Chicory Electric Band, you know what I mean. <laughs> you can go downtown to Broadway and sit in and play. If you just turn your ears on and listen, the, the tunes will drag you through. Seventy percent of your work will be done if your ears are good. Originally from St. Simon's Island, Georgia, okay. down on the coast. There's a bunch of barrier islands between Savannah, Georgia, and Jacksonville, Florida. Okay. And St. Simons is kind of the biggest, most populated one. That's my family was there. My everybody, my parents, grandparents—they've been there since the '40s. Musical family or nope, no. I'm the only one that plays anything. Wow. My mother loves music. She's a big music fan. Yeah. But she doesn't play anything. Uh, my brother, nothing. Nobody in my family. 
I'm, I don't know why I got bit by the bug and I'm the only one that, yeah, that got it. Yeah. So, well, what, what was it? Was there something uh, that happened when you were young that you're like, "Hey, drums! I gotta, I gotta do this," or was I, it just music? It's fun. It's funny. Probably the the reason uh, the the full reason why I'm into it is probably because of my mother because she's always been such a fan. Yeah. She, that when we were in the car, the radio was always on. She just mm-hmm. liked good songs. She just liked to sing along with them, even though she can't sing, bless her heart. You know, <laughs> it, it, it was, it, we were always around it. But um, I remember vividly, I was talking to somebody about this the other day, the, when I was a little kid and there was a St. Patrick's Day parade mm-hmm. and they had a fire truck and they had, you know, like clowns and guys dressed up like leprechauns or whatever, standing on top of the, of the fire truck as it came down with a siren on and they had bags of candy. You know those remember those those peppermints, but they were green and white, not like like starlight mints, the little hard, oh, yes, of hard course, yeah. but the green ones. Yeah, yeah. They were throwing those. Just they were going everywhere, all over the sidewalk. And kids were just scrambling around yeah. picking up candy. Yeah. And I wanted so bad to go out and do it. And I sat in the car because the marching band was right behind them. And that boom, 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 that bass drum uh-huh. hitting uh-huh. you in the chest, uh-huh. I hated it. I wouldn't get out of the car. It, I did not like it at all. That huh. big, boomy. Really? I, I remember being out of I was probably four or five years old, and I yeah. just hated the feeling that I did not like it in any way, shape, or form, and I actually sat kind of like, I wish I could get some candy, because I, I couldn't get out. I hated it. <laughs> and then I ended up playing drums. I Don't don't ask me why. No clue. Um, Controlling your demons. Maybe. You're I don't know. I asked, for, I, you know, I asked for, for toy guitars, and toy. I got a toy drum set when I was a kid. It was one of those Sears catalog paper, yeah. you know, piece of junk. And I have pictures of me actually on Christmas Day standing in my living room, kind of standing up, banging on it, mm-hmm. you know. And uh, and I, you know, I messed with it for a little while, and then it ended up in the attic. Hmm. It was just ah, okay, whatever. Mm-hmm. And then one day, just you know how kids are, you get to be twelve or thirteen, you start exploring, and I went up in the attic and just kind of digging around, and looking at all this old stuff. Right. And I saw those drums, and I was like, yeah, I should drag those back down. Yeah. And I pulled them back down and started messing with them. And at that point, I got bit. I have no idea why. I just really, really was like, God, I just drums. It became, everything became drums. I think 12 and 13 is is about, you know, there's that point when your brain switches on. I'm seeing that with my 13-year-old right now. Yeah. You find something that you just really get passionate about. You're like, this is what I want to do. Yeah. So. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, and then did you have a good, uh, band program in school or a teacher? Um, there was a, there was a band program in the middle school and, and I actually, this is another kind of a silly little story, but, um, you could only join band like, I think it was sixth, seventh and eighth grade. So sixth grade is when you had the option to be in school band. If when you could start choosing your own elective things you wanted to do. And I went, of course, I was like, yeah, I want to be in the band. Yeah. And the band director was kind of a, he's sort of a flaky guy. And, and, and years later, I realized that my, my, my 12-year-old judgment was right because he was kind of a, a loon. But um, he was going around the room I, the first day of band. And it was me and an, uh, there was 10 or 12, 15 people in there. And he was asking everybody, what do they want to play? I, mean, I want to play clarinet. I want to play trumpet. I want to do this. And... He got to the kid next to me, and we both had kind of sat by the drums because we both wanted to play drums. Yeah. There's only two of us. And he said, 
he, he said, what do you want to play? And the kid said, uh, he said, well, I want to play drums. He said, and he points to me. He said, what do you want to play? I said, I want to play drums. And he goes, well, we can't have a whole band full of drummers. Two drummers? Yeah. And I'm going, <laughs> well, hell, it was just two of us, you know? <laughs> Nobody else has even mentioned drums. We're the only two guys in the whole room. But he made it like... And I just kind of went, I don't know, like this, this guy scares me. There's something just <laughs> kind of weird about him. And so I actually asked my mom. I was like, I was enjoying playing along to records on my own more than I was hauling a drum to, to school every day. You know, had those little mm-hmm. yep. student kits, you know, with an acrylite and a stand and a pad and all that. And I, I had friends that did it, but I just didn't do it. And, but I did spend a lot of time playing along to records. Yeah, you know that was the big thing. And and what were you f- discovering? What were you playing along with? Uh, well, when it first started, all I had was my mom's records, which were the '70s, what we, we like to call wimp rock now. <laughs> Dan Fogelberg, John Denver, The Eagles, yeah. Bread, America, yeah. that '70s folky rock stuff. She sure. loved it. Sure. To this day, yeah. I watched the Eagles documentary the other day, and to this day, I still go, dude. There was some. They did some great stuff. Yeah. I mean, it's not like, oh, that's old cornball 70s. No. It was, there's a reason why they're who they are, because that yeah. shit was good. Well, and some you of know. those Eagles guys were producing Dan Fogelberg. Yeah, so exactly. They were on the same yeah. record and stuff. So um, I, when I really got into it, I don't know. I don't remember how uh, who turned me on to it, but it was Kiss. It was Peter Chris. Wow. I saw Kiss. I saw yeah. something about him, and it was like a comic book. Of course. For a 12-year-old kid, you know, somebody breathing fire and spitting blood. It was a comic book come to life. Mm-hmm. And I, it was, oh, that's the coolest thing ever. First record I ever bought was Kiss Destroyer. Bought it with my own money, and I still have the vinyl copy right now. Nice. I can take you to my house and show you where it is. Oh, you didn't bring it with you? No, no. I, well, I usually keep it in my pocket, but, oh. you know, no, actually, <laughs> no. I actually, seriously, I mean, that was, Kiss became the thing. Yeah. Big time. Right. And... That was when I sort of mom was like, oh, that that weird and loud stuff. I don't, but you know, that was when I I discovered my own thing, and mm-hmm. so he just left me alone and let me do it. I held off going to college immediately after high school, and I thought, well, I'm going to do this band thing for a little while. I did it for a couple of years, yeah, and then it petered out, you know. So then I went, then I decided to go to college. Okay. One of the few people I think who, oh, I'm gonna go to college later, and then they end up, you know, 40 years later, they're still welding, you know. Right, right, right. And it's like I, I never went to college. I actually did, but um, it was I just wanted to play with that first for a little bit. So I was gonna say because I mean you mentioned it in your bio on your yeah. when I went I went to your website and I was looking up some stuff. Yeah. So I, I was just thinking there must be something significant about that. I mean I know everybody's path is differently and I, I don't know if there was more to it the reason why you kind of put off college or it, it was just um I was lucky that my parents didn't uh, and my grandparents didn't hassle me. They they weren't like, oh no, you can't do that. You have to go they just were kind of hands off. Like yeah. they knew enough after after the middle middle school thing happened, and then getting into high school, and then getting into the high school band, being sort of behind and catching up, and then finding out in high school that there were fifteen or eighteen other guys in my hometown that were just like me. Mm-hmm. We were all about drums mm-hmm. and cool guys that played drums. That's where I got turned on to Neil. That's where I got turned on to Vinny and Terry Bozio and mm-hmm. Modern Drummer, my first issue of Modern Drummer. You could not have found me in high school without a, a copy of Modern Drummer in my bag yeah. somewhere. I, that's like, you know, yeah. always reading Modern Drummer. Yeah. I just, just soaking up everything I could get out of it. Because in a dinky little town like that, there was no information. There, 
My parents didn't know anything about drums. They didn't know who was cool. Yeah. My grandfather took me to see Buddy Rich one time, which was just freaking amazing. Right, right. Just boggled yeah. my mind. That's awesome. And he he got a kick out of me just sitting there just going, like, oh, my God, listen to that guy, you know. How old were you? Do you remember? I was probably, yeah, 13, yeah. 12 or 13. Yeah. He played in my hometown. Big man. remember that? I was 13 when I saw him. Yeah. And I, I racked my brain to try to remember what I experienced and what I heard. Yeah. And it's hard to remember. Oh, there was it's so much information overload. It was like, yeah. I do remember. This is funny. John Hammond here in town, yeah, um, does a bunch of session work, and you know, John's a real successful drummer here. Um, he was. I remember this name because I, I found out later that this was this was him. The Valdosta State Jazz Band opened that show for Charlie, and they were really good because I, I was kind of in the school band. And and knew what the jazz band thing was about, and looked up to those guys like they were a college jazz band. They were really good, mm-hmm, sure, much better sure. than us. Mm-hmm. And John was the drummer. Wow. And at some point during the show, John had to take a solo, a little thing, whatever. Uh-huh. And I, I mean, he was way better than I was. And I'm going, man, this John Hammond guy. I don't know who he is, but God, he's really good. Yeah. He's probably going to give Buddy a run for his money. <laughs> and I've told John this story. Yeah, that's that, great. I, you know, ran into him at Forks, and we just giggled about it because it was like. I remember seeing him, and I was, you know, I was a little kid. I'm just 12, 13, 14 years old, and he played. He played his butt off. I mean, he played great. Mm-hmm. And then Buddy came out, and <laughs> it was like, oh my god, oh you got to be kidding me! I didn't even know what to think. Yeah, I, it was so above my head. It was just amazingly, mind-bogglingly yeah. incredible. Yeah, but you know, I, I think even if I saw him now, oh, you still. I'd still Dude. like what just happened. Yeah, it's, so he's it, yeah. It was he was one of those kind of guys. Yeah. yeah. So even at thirteen, I just yeah. I'm just, I'm just wondering. You had the same similar experience. Oh yeah. Like, do you remember? Because I don't remember. Yeah. I don't remember <laughs> I specific things. All I know is it was just like when he, when I walked out of there, I just was like jaw on the floor. Like, yeah. you got to be kidding me. And then of course that you know it, that sends you into that man. I got a lot of work to do if I want to be as good as him kind of thing. You know, which is never going to happen, but. You know, you yeah. work at it. It gives you an inspiration on some some level. It's that combo of like I give up and and being motivated. Yeah, like, I'm ready. I've, yeah, you know, I know this can be done. If the, if he can do it, I can do something. You know, yeah, yeah, so yeah. if you take it the right way, that's yeah. definitely a big a big thing. But but yeah, the the band thing after high school was just just being away from home, living with a bunch of guys on the road, having to take care of our own business, having to handle getting from place to place yeah. without a whole lot of help. Um, and just playing cover tunes, just playing rock cover tunes. And back in those days, there was a scene for that. There were clubs all over. We, it was mostly Florida, Georgia, Alabama. Mm-hmm. There were clubs all over the state where you could play five, six nights a week, and just there was a whole scene for that. Right, right. So and at that age, your expenses aren't probably yeah. great. Yeah, oh, no. Nah, we ate bologna sandwiches, and you know we just enjoyed having fun yeah. and getting to play. That's awesome. Um, but it was I, – I did that for a couple of years, and then – I got sick again and had to do chemo again and all that stuff. So once that happened, I was like, all right, well, let me get serious about this. But the cool thing about it was the fact that it was, um, it was a chance to get to play other things that I was, that I hadn't been exposed to because I was really into, this is what I like. I like kiss. And then I got into high school and guys turned me on to Neil and I like rush and I like Steve Smith with journey. And I like Bozio and I got turned on to Vinny a little bit. And Mm -hmm. these are the kind of guys that I like the Gino Vanelli thing, Mark Craney and, and Casey Shirell and those guys, oh, like wow. okay. that real, that was like the high school bag for, for yeah. me. Right, right, right. And so I was real into that kind of stuff. Okay. And then having to go out and play, you know, honky tonk women and not 
jamming all your Neil Peart licks into it was a little, and I did it anyway. <laughs> I listened back it's to just, some of that it, stuff. It and it's turn horrible. Pat, it's only one cowbell. Yeah, dude. One cowbell. Yeah, on that it was, song. when you're a kid, man, you're trying to figure it out. Yeah, you know. And I, I there's a lot of those. I can still think back to moments where I go, God, I must have been a nightmare for those guys. Because I just didn't know. We all go through it. Yeah. Well, what was your decision for school? Where did you end up going? I know you ended up at Berkeley and studied with Chafee. Um, I went – I wanted to go to Berkeley, and I applied, and I basically just was truthful on the exam. I just didn't know anything about harmony and ear training and none of that. And I got turned down. Which I thought, well, you know, it's Berkeley. I'm not going to, you know, they're not going to let me in anyway. It was, a, it was a long shot to, to get in. But at that time, it was like 86, and a bunch of my high school buddies had gone on to Georgia Southern. Okay. And uh, they wanted me to come to Georgia Southern and march in the marching band because we had all done marching band in high school. So yeah. I, was all, I, I was into that. I really dug it and, and still to this day love it. Um, kind of rekindled an, an interest in it lately. I'm really heavy, like uh, big sticks and chopping out on a pad, trying to get my hands in shape. Oh wow! Uh, but it's fun, you know. Yeah. And the stuff they're doing now is just. I was going to say it's me. in '86. Yeah. Oh no! It was there was no such thing as all the stuff they're doing now. You, you know, pinstripes on your skin. right. Exactly. Yeah, we did. Um, but going to Georgia Southern. I went and specifically, I knew that I was only going to go for about a year and just cram all the harmony and ear training I could get so that I could reapply to Berkeley. Gotcha. Because that was the whole goal of going there was just like, they're going, oh, you should think about what you're going to do for a career. I know what I'm doing for a career. I just need this right now. And while I'm here, I'm going to march in marching band with these guys and have fun. Mm -hmm. But that really did more than anything. That helped my reading chops. That was the best thing in the world for reading because I didn't read very well at all. Okay. Because I missed the reading thing in middle school. And never really had to do it in high school. Yeah. And so I get to Georgia Southern and they said, you should play snare. And I'm like, ah, and they handed me some music. And it there was like 32 bar little audition thing. Mm-hmm. And it took me six hours to figure it out. Mm. And then I finally, I went in and did it. And they went, yeah. And they said, what about this? And they handed me some stuff to sight read. And I'm like, I guys, I can't, you know, I yeah. can't read like that. And they were like, well, here, it just this figure goes like this. Oh, you mean this? Oh, okay. Yeah. So they kind of went, you got hands. You just got to get the reading thing, but we'll get you through it. You can do it. We need a guy in the snare line. So every day getting handed that music every day, man, I mean, really, really nice. took my reading from zero to 10 fast. Wow. And so one year so, there. One year there. And then, but so then when I went to Berkeley, I was ready for, I already had the, you know, a basis in reading from Georgia Southern. I had ear training and harmony classes that got me into Berkeley. They went, oh, yeah, you, you've got 4.0 and all this. Yeah, come on up. Nice. So then I just transferred and went to Berkeley. And I did there year 87, 88, about two years. Okay. So, um, how much time did you spend with Chafee? I studied for, with him for probably, I'd say six, seven months. Okay. You know, the, the, the last period the, the the last few months I was there I was and studying with him what was he dishing out at that time man he had he had kind of refined that that whole patterns thing that he's got that series of stuff mm-hmm. um and I really wish now that I could go back because I was a kid I didn't I just was a dumb kid from Georgia and I didn't know I thought you went and talked to this world-renowned teacher and he showed you what you had to do to be good yeah and I didn't get that he was giving me a framework mm-hmm. and going, take this home 
and do something with it. Show me what you got. Show me what you can come up with. Think of stuff. Trying to make you think. It wasn't so much about the execution of the technical stuff. That was part of it. But how can you use this? Interesting. And he was, I think he was still kind of, maybe not so much at that point, but was, was farming his students for directions for for concepts like oh i never thought about doing it that way yeah because he said when he first did that stuff and he had Vinny and steve smith and those guys studying with him yeah. he'd just come up with this this real rough concept of the numbers and the sticking patterns and the in the linear stuff and all that yeah but he really hadn't explored it and he gave it to those guys and they would come back every week and go well you could do this and you could do that and he's going whoa whoa whoa, whoa, whoa what was that what and he's writing down the shit <laughs> wow, that Vinny was telling that. him yeah so he he kind of built i think he kind of yeah. built like uh, his curriculum so mm-hmm. to speak out of stuff that he had the feedback he had gotten from some of his more advanced guys yeah. and now he's refined that and polished it into a book and a system and the whole yeah. deal yeah. but it was uh I learned a lot of stuff from that guy. I still think back stuff that I do and things that happen and just stuff still pops into my head. And I go, you know what? That, you know, Chafee was telling me this was how it was going to be. That's and I didn't know even enough to listen to him. Yeah. I mean, I was listening, but I didn't get it. It didn't soak in. So I've always been. Yeah. When you go through those formative years. Yeah. And it's like, God, I could have done so much better if I'd known where the hell I was going. <laughs> if I'd known I was going to come out over here, then I could have directed my stuff to be ready when I got out there. Yeah. And I didn't know. And it's frustrating as hell because I look back and go, geez, man, I'm always the guy bringing up the rear. I am. I am. I don't – just conceptually well, my head doesn't work that way. I don't way. know. I think we, we all – I think a lot of times we think that about ourselves. But uh, I see I, – I remember kids that were there. There's a guy there's – a, there's a drummer that's up in Boston or uh, New Hampshire now. Uh, is was a friend of mine way back then. And I'm, I've rekindled a Facebook friendship with him. Just an absolutely, just stunningly good drummer. Mm-hmm. Technically, just a monstrous player. It's a guy named Steve Michaud. Mm-hmm. And Steve was a young kid when we were at Berkeley, and we'd all hang on the, the wall right by the, by the mailboxes. There's this, this uh, concrete wall that all the drummers sat and put their pads on, and we all practiced and okay. showed each other licks and stuff. Yeah. And Steve would hang with it's us. It's a great place to pick up girls. Oh, yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of those there. <clears throat> <laughs> um, so Steve would sit down and he was just, he was younger than us. I was probably 21, maybe 22. Okay. And Steve was like 16. What? And, and he would sit down and go, yeah, I went and this, this like really just wild, wide eyed young kid, totally into it. Yeah. And he'd come in and he would say, yeah, I, I took a lesson with Gary and he was showing me this thing and this, and and we're all going, whoa, 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 what was that? What are you doing? And, wow. and he had this kind of, like, he assumed that all of us old guys, of course we already knew all that. Yeah. You know, he was yeah. just telling us this exciting stuff he had just learned. Yeah. And we're all going, who is this kid? And how is he, like, absorbing this? Sh- it's taken me five years to get half as far as, what in the hell is going on here? Yeah. So Steve was one of those guys, those young kids that just had an insight for it. And I'd see those guys, and there was a ton of them at Berkeley like that. And I would look at it and go, "Why? Well, I'm just a dumbass. I just can't. If somebody shows me, I'm okay. But I don't. My brain doesn't work like figuring it out myself. It's just weird. It's, I've always been that way. It is frustrating. But, but I, I think, man, I just I was young and and I I didn't really absorb all that information that now I think, oh man, I wish I paid more attention. And then you meet the young players that are absorbing it all. And yeah, like, you little. 
Yeah, these kids that are thinking about the, the you know how they're going to do their next step and what I just went. Drums were just something I loved to do, and I didn't have a plan. Well, man, listen, you you, you know. You have a, rep- a reputation. I mean, you have since I've moved here 16 years ago, as having just an incredible facility for playing, uh, very uh, musical. I've seen you a couple times. I've uh, worked with some artists that have opened up for Charlie Daniels, so I've seen you play. Um, how do you go from I'm the guy that brings up the rear to, oh man, I just had to follow Pat McDonald. That's gonna suck. <laughs> I don't know. I, you know how many times I don't I've know. heard that? I really, I and people say that to me, and I'm going, dude, I, you know. I don't. I this is what I think that I, I, in in going back and sort of reliving the history of how of being here and whatever. I mean, I, I guess I'm 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 kind of forcing you to kind of connect the dots from yeah twenty one to now. Just just plain out ignorance, just not knowing any better, just playing and playing everything I could play and taking every gig I could take and doing everything I could do and just trying to suss out all the stuff I had in my hands. Yeah. And, my, you know, I, I, I listened to a lot of guys, and I, I spent a lot of time listening to more chopsy sort of guys. I didn't, I didn't go the – yeah, I didn't discover the beauty of, of Jeff Picaro and Jim Keltner and, and those, you know, the groove guys. And mm-hmm. I was more into the – more, the more notes and the busier, the better it was. I you know, yeah. I said the, the Neil thing and, and Bozio and any of Zappa's guys and, and all that was the thing. Like- you had a facility already. They were discovering that in college. Yeah. You've got the hands. So there was something that maybe led you that down that particular path. It was just, that was just what you, you know, everybody goes through a phase. If, yep. if you get into music and you think it's cool and then you start to really get inside it and you go, man, if it's the more complicated and the, and the more notes and the, the more odd times and the more over the general population's head yes. this is, the hipper it is. Yep. And there's a whole world. There's the dream theater kind of thing that uh-huh. exists for those kind of kids. Yep. And I get it. And and I still appreciate it. Yep. But I also now also appreciate God, the beauty of just the simplest country shuffle too. Right. You just right. got it's there's an art to all of it. Yeah. But it took me a while to get there. I, I did it the back way. But the the connection of, uh, between school and getting here in terms of of that um there was a lot of stuff, a lot of noty crap that I worked on. Mm-hmm. Stylistically, listen to a guys a lot of guys that played a lot of noty stuff. Uh-huh. So when I came to town, there really wasn't. I don't know of too many guys that were out of that background. There were guys that came sort of at the same time I did. Jim Riley and I got here within seven days of each other. Okay, um, Rich was here. Yeah, uh, Northrop was here. There was a bunch of guys who had had that kind of a, a little more of that kind of a background, and weren't just diehard country guys coming to Nashville to take a shot. Yeah, they were fusion and rock guys who Nashville was now the place to be. Maybe I should go to Nashville, mm-hmm. and and luckily I fell into a bunch of situations here where I was able to just play the way I played, right. but but sort of lay it over the top of this. I got and when I had the Blue Heelers thing, I ended up playing with those guys. And we took old country tunes mm-hmm. and turned them inside out. Mm-hmm. And that was just what we did it for fun. Yeah. And people liked it. And it became yeah. a big thing. And the people expected it. And then I would go sit in on gigs having played with them and taking solo breaks and whatever and having worked on that in other genres of music. Now we're playing sort of a, a country thing. It's a fast train beat thing and they want you to take a solo. Yeah, yeah. All right, so I took a solo. Well, I knew how to take a solo because I'd done it a thousand times in other 
stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And people in Nashville had like never heard it or something. Like, yeah. oh my God, this guy can actually play a solo and it's in time and I can keep stomp my foot to it. And mm-hmm. what the hell? And then that rep became, you got to hear this guy. And there were other guys doing that. Mm-hmm. And that really, I don't know that there were, I wasn't here, but I don't, I don't know that there were too many guys that that did that. And I think for me, it was just out of sheer ignorance. I just figured I just play like I play and it seemed to work out. Okay. There were probably purists in town going, who's this bonehead coming here, blowing a bunch of shit, all of these country tunes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's what we do. We just, we're having fun with it. I'm not doing it because I'm trying to like work my way into the studio. I'm just getting gigs. Okay. (laughs) And then younger kids would come and they, they started to hear that there were guys in Nashville and more and more of that became, it was okay. Yeah. As long as you kept that stuff in your quiver when you didn't need it. Nice. Right. right. And th- that's the thing. That's like if you played a tune where there was room to blow and you can blow, then blow. Yeah. Yeah. There's no nobility in like hiding what you can do. Mm-hmm. If you can paint a beautiful picture using a hundred colors, then use all hundred of them and make people go, wow. Nobody goes, well, that's not, it's good, but it's got a hundred colors. If it only had three colors, it'd be better. Th- that's bullshit. I'm sorry. It's it's what the final product is what it is. Either you like it or you don't. Yeah. If you have tools in your box, pull them out, but only when you need them. And that's a that was a tough thing for uh, I think still it's for young kids to learn. But I kind of that my time in Nashville sort of and it's cemented well. that. It's worked. For yeah, you. it's worked for you. It has. Uh, one thing that you, I'm remembering this uh, seeing you. I was playing with I was on I was playing with Billy Dean. And we open up for you guys. And Who's was, freaking amazing, by the he way. Is, he is. That awesome. guy. God. Um, it was in Ohio, and my dad lives there, so it was great. So he was able yeah. to hang with me, and we were watching you play. And so yeah. it was really fun. I noticed that you had some room to play and to flex and to pull stuff out of the Oh, yeah. You know, with, yeah. with Charlie. But when you guys played Devil, yeah, you played it. More straight than any other song I heard you play on that set, from what I can remember. Yeah, because that's I can what guess it needs. Why, but... I that's just it's an iconic song. It I you you know there's you that's that's I think when you've reached some sort of level of musical maturity when you understand. Yes, I've got all this stuff in my pocket, mm-hmm. but this particular piece of music mm-hmm. doesn't need any of that. What that needs is this. And there's room. The the advantage I have with Charlie, there's a couple things. First off, musically, he comes from a player's background. So it's not a do the gig like the record kind of thing because we do the records. He doesn't use session guys on his records. He uses the band. So everything he's done since 97, I've played on. Nice. Yeah. Even though it's stuff that you know fan club people are only really going to hear, and there's a few little things have broken through some, but nothing as big as Devil. But that stuff is is us playing, so we have the freedom to do what we want. He allows us to do it because he, he that's what he wants. Yeah. I mean, I remember vividly going to the very first rehearsal and having Jack Gavin live tapes. And I don't know everybody in the band, and I'm going. All right, well, let's run. Um, we're going to do this tune, and uh, all right. At the beginning of this, Jack does a fill where he goes, "Is that what you guys are used to hearing?" I don't know that the bass player maybe he just knows when he hears that's when he comes in. Can he count? I don't know him. Just met him. Right, right, right. So I'm sort of feeling my way through it. He goes, "No, no, no, you're good. Just do whatever you want." So I count it off, and we play. And another time, 
And after two or three times like that, he stopped rehearsal. And he's this is honest to God, quote. He said, son, I hired you to play drums because I need somebody that plays drums, and I don't know how to do it, and you do. As far as I'm concerned, you do whatever the hell you want to do, and we'll follow you. <laughs> and I was like, you got to be kidding me, because I was in that headset of Nashville, do it like the record. You go yeah. play with Martina, you do what Eddie did on the record, period. Right. I don't want to hear da-da-da-da if it's not on the record. If you do it, you get the stink eye and a plane ticket. Yeah. You know? On his gig, it was like, play drums. Yeah. Play whatever you want to play. So I have a lot of freedom. Musically, he gives you a lot of freedom to do that stuff as well. So the combination of being that guy in town who's got the reputation, apparently, of being able to play a lot of fancy-schmancy crap, (laughs) and then doing gigs where I can do it, and then getting a gig like Charlie's where I can do it every day. But he trusts that if we're doing Long Hair Country Boy, there's no room for all that stuff. Yeah. You know, it's an old gut bucket bluesy kind of tune. Just lay it down. So I love the fact that there's tunes in the show where I don't do anything but boom, bop, boom, bop, the whole tune. Mm -hmm. Now, there may be a Latin tune that comes after this where we can go into fusion world and I can blow all my fusion chops, and that's fine. Mm -hmm. But if the fusion stuff needs it, the the tune before it does it, what it needs is this. Right. So you're given that freedom. So going back to my question about playing devil, did that naturally occur, or right out of the bag, you're like, this song is has everything it needs? I, there really wasn't, I don't really, I didn't hear any place that it needed anything else, so okay. that's probably what it was. He had two guys on that track, too, because he, he had two drummers for a long time, and most of them are on the, and they're on the records. If you listen close, you can hear the parts. Yeah. So not only do, <laughs> here's a guy that plays a lot of notes, and now he's in a band that has drummers that, Drum tracks have two guys, so I can cover twice as much crap, and it'll work for the sound of the band. So I was fortunate in that sense, too. Devil was one of those. I knew it, and it just, it's the story. The thing is, just just keep a groove and go in the the little sections where you can blow and get a little funkier. That's cool. But the main thing is make sure that 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 storyline that's coming out of his mouth, that people can sing along to it and they get it, and there's no room to get in the way. It's a train beat thing, you know? That's all it is. If it's a train beat, that's all you need. Right, right. If he decided to extend the arrangement and, and let everybody take solo breaks or give everybody four bars to blow or something, mm-hmm. then yeah, then I could do it. But uh, to that point, I don't, I don't, I don't never even think about it. You just play the song, and that's what people want to hear. Yeah, right. I, I get that. Yeah. Um, when did you move to Nashville? Ninety-seven. Ninety-seven. Yeah. And um, can you connect the dots from your move to Charlie's gig? You worked yeah. with Tanya Tucker, is that right? I did. I did Tanya's gig. Well, when you had mentioned earlier, I don't know if this if if we were recording or not, but about the Wooten thing, about you seeing me playing with right, the Wootens. Right, I saw you uh, when I first my first year down here. I think it was ninety nine or two thousand. I saw yeah. you with the Wooten brothers at Third and Lindsley. Yeah. I, yeah, I used to sub that gig a pretty fair amount. Uh, Raymond Massey, yep. who works at Pearl now, mm-hmm. Raymond was kind of the guy. Right, and I hadn't been in town very long and went and saw him. And I kind of walked in, and there it was. There was a totally different than the country thing. It was R and B, old funk, and whatever. And I was like, "Oh, this is where I belong." I say this, I know, because mm-hmm. I was doing club gigs down on Broadway, and they're calling the standard, you know, Merle Haggard, George Jones, Tammy Wynette country tunes. And I didn't really grow up on that stuff, and I just had to shut my mouth and listen. Yeah. So I didn't know it, but the Wooten thing was like, "Oh yeah, Brick House, shit, you kidding me? Yeah. I got this." So I would go and hang out, and I ended up meeting Raymond, 
And he asked me one night if I wanted if I could want to sit in. I said, sure. And I played a couple tunes. And Reggie liked it. And Joe Wooten was playing. Rudy was still there. Rock Williams. All those guys that did that gig for so long. Mm-hmm. They all liked it. And then Reggie got my number and started calling me. When R- Raymond said, I've got to go out with Tanya this weekend. I'm not Or this week, I'm not going to be here. Reggie would call me. Mm-hmm. He had two or three guys he would call. And he would call me every once in a while and go, hey, can you come down and do the gig Wednesday? Yeah. Sure. And I go down and do the gig. So that's probably what was happening when you when you yeah. came in. Yeah. That was much more f- to me like, okay, I don't have to think on this one. I know this stuff. Just follow that guy and play these old tunes that you know. Yes. You know, yeah. so it was much more comfortable. When Raymond got the gig at Pearl and he he had to stop touring with Tanya, he knew me from that and he recommended to Tanya's guys, you should let Pat do it and then I went out. And with Tanya's thing, you never really got the gig. You right. just went out and that did a weekend, and then you did another weekend, and you did you just kept doing it until they said she doesn't want you anymore. <laughs> so I ended up making about nine months with her, yeah. And then they decided to change. You know, they, like a girlfriend. I used to. They they had had Johnny Rab did it for a while, and she didn't like Johnny for some reason. And then I did it for about nine months, and everything was great. And then one day she didn't like me, and then they hired Johnny back, and then she thought Johnny was the greatest thing in the world. And it was like Johnny and I still talk about it and go. Well, that's weird, but that's what it is. Right, right. You know, she just changed her mind like she changed her clothes. So whatever. <laughs> Every um, nine months? What? Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so uh, from that, I ended up do, still doing the Blue Healers thing. That ended up leading to uh, a house gig at this place called the Starlight Club out on Dickerson Road. Hmm. And I did that for about a year and a half. And it was like a kind of Wednesday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, whatever. It was a four or five night a week nice. house gig, a yeah. pretty good house gig. And it was all pop stuff. wasn't a bunch of country. It was all yeah. blues and R&B stuff. So I would go out and do that. Well, Dennis Gully is the, was the bass player, band leader in that, that band. Mm-hmm. And Dennis worked at Johnny Neal's studio. You know, Johnny, keyboard player. Okay. Played with the Almond Brothers, blind oh, guy. Right, right. Okay. Johnny has a studio, but of course he can't work the boards because he can't see. Okay. But he can produce. Yeah. But Dennis was like his button pusher guy. And Taz, Charlie, Charlie's piano player for 40 years, mm-hmm. did a record, did a, his first little solo project at Johnny's studio. Mm-hmm. And they got a guy that was one of Taz's buddies, and the guy apparently wasn't cutting it. And Dennis called me one day and said, Hey, man, we're, we're kind of in a bind. We're, we're way behind. This guy's not not pulling his weight, can you come over here and bring a kit and finish this record for me? Yeah. Yeah. So I put a kit in the truck and went over and got him back on track and got it record, got it done. And Taz thought it was great. And I, when I left, I thought, well, that's cool, because I knew who Taz was from listening to Charlie as a kid. Yeah. So I remember just kind of walking out going, wow, I just played on Charlie's keyboard player's solo record. Ah, that's awesome. You know? Yeah. Back to my gig. Right. Right. And then two weeks after that, Jack Gavin left and... Taz called me and said, Jack, just quit. You want you want to do the gig? And I was like, what? sure. And he sent me material, and I learned it and went over and auditioned. And 16 years later, I'm still here. <laughs> Never in a million years did I think when I moved to Nashville that that's what I'd end up doing. Right, right. I just wanted to play drums. Again, that goes back to what I was saying before, ignorance. I don't know. I don't have a plan. Just play. I just yeah. kept playing, and one thing led to another, yeah. and I've just played. Yeah, So. Can I ask you about your health? Sure. Um, I didn't know a lot of... You've mentioned a couple times chemo and yeah. things like that. Yeah. And uh, you mentioned it that you had something early, like before college even. Yeah. Uh, I was diagnosed with uh, uh, Hodgkin's lymphoma. Okay. And I about, God, two, three months out of high school. 
Wow. Graduated high school in the end of that summer. I found a lump on my neck, and they checked it out, and they took some of it out, and they said, yeah, it's cancer. So we did radiation. Yeah. And they zapped me and knocked it out for a couple of years. That's while I was doing Caruso, the rock band. Yeah. Then when that band kind of – when I left that band, I had found another lump like it had come back. So I knew I had to take some time off to get treated, whatever. So then I went and did chemo in 85, okay. 85, 86. And then that's when I was like recovering from chemo. I got real serious about applying. And that next fall, went to Georgia Southern, the Berkeley thing, so forth. Um, so after that, I was cancer-free for 21, 22 years. Wow. And then in 07... I started having some some pain in my back. I couldn't figure out what it was. And we, we went and finally figured it out, that I had another type of lymphoma, which is apparently now fairly common if you're a long-term survivor. Okay. The stuff that they gave me when I was 17 was pretty heavy poison, which potentially caused what came back when I was 45. Oh, wow. So then I had chemo again in 07 while I was with Charlie. Yeah. And now I'm 07, what, we're going on... November. What's today? Uh, the eleventh. So another week, a week. November seventeenth, eighteenth, eighteenth will be eight years. Eight years. Wow! I didn't even think about that. Nice. So yeah, another week. Yeah, I'll be eight years clean again. So it's uh, it's just something I every once in a while I got to deal with. I guess now yeah. now getting older, a lot of things are falling apart based on that. I'm having issues that have things have to be fixed. Like I told you earlier, right. the hip, the titanium yeah. hip, yeah. the chemo the last time, all the drugs sort of ate that up and I had that done. Oh, wow. But it's fine. I'm good. And how are you? I mean, how is it affecting your touring schedule? You're playing. Doesn't really have uh, other. Not, it's just getting old. You know, I'm yeah. not 20 anymore. Right. Things are sore. I know. You know? <laughs> but I think that's just because I'm old. It doesn't really have much of an effect. I don't have to do anything different. I don't have to. You know, I, it would be great if I was a little more meticulous about really taking care of myself, but it's hard to do, man. It's really, it's, it's really hard, hard to do on the without road. Without medical issues yeah. to do. Well, uh, I remember uh, when I was still at Forks, probably 12, 13 years ago, and you came in and you had a uh, you had a cast on your foot. Yeah. <laughs> was it yeah. your right foot or your left It was my left foot. Oh, oh okay. yeah. Luckily. I stepped, on a, stepped in a hole. Yeah. Just broke my ankle on the road. Yeah. Duh. <laughs> you know. Do you think? Do you think that was a? Just. Do you think that your body was compromised in some way because of the chemo, or do you think that? No, nah, that was just probably, that was just stupid. Anybody that would have stepped in that hole would have done the same thing. It just, I think you were heading to a Taco Bell. I remember. I, you know, I was going to I was going to Waffle House. Believe See, it or that not. was your first mistake. There was. That was it. It was weird. There was a, there was a grass field, yeah. and it had a curb, like a concrete curb. Yeah. Just running through the middle of the field. Like that maybe this used to be where the road was, but they moved it and the grass had grown and whatever. Right. And there was a hole, but they had mowed the grass and it was flat. Yeah. So it looked like normal height oh, grass. Right, right, right. And I just stepped over that curb and when I stepped down, my ankle just rolled and I heard it pop. And I thought, ah, you know, okay, I'll shake it off. And after five or ten minutes, I was like, damn, this really hurts. And went to the emergency room. And it was just just the end of that bone. I just cracked it. So, they say Waffle House is bad for your health. Yeah, it was. That was it. I was good because that was all there was. I was in like Missouri or something, and there was a hotel. We were there was nothing to eat anywhere else but Waffle House. And I thought, well, I'll go to Waffle House. Yeah, and didn't make it. I didn't make it. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I did a couple shows with uh, with an air cast on, and 
Oh my gosh! It was. It's funny. I got got it back on the bus. You know, after we'd all gone in the hotel, we'd done our things during the day. Crew gone over, set everything up. Get back in the bus to go to the gig, and guys are going, "What the hell happened to you?" And I'm like, "Man, I stepped in a hole right there. You know, and I broke my ankle." Jeez! Like, but luckily, it was a hi hat foot. So, yeah. you know, I could just raise my leg straight up and down and use the weight of my leg to close a hi-hat, so that was fine. But double bass stuff was out of the question for a couple of months. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. It's just, that's not going to happen. That's, that's amazing. <laughs> um, I want to ask you about your website. You have a list of things called Concepts. Yeah. And um, it's great. Uh, just I'll quickly run down. You've got um, blogs that you've written yeah. Personal skills, soloing, uh, versatility, groove, on the road, uh, life away. There's a blog, which is uh, an article from Modern Drummer, which right. is cool. And then um, you have the story of the session from hell, <laughs> which I spent my breakfast reading and Dude. just sitting there with my mouth hanging open going, that's awesome. Unbelievable. It was, uh, you know, I mean, it's on there The the in a nutshell. it. I think my... Yeah, you've got to go. What's your website called? A drum Skull. Drumskull.com. Drumskull.com. Yeah. If you go to these the, where the concepts are listed, and you go to that and read that. I mean, but if you want to mention yeah. it uh, in yeah. a nutshell, but it is a pretty amazing story. Uh, it, it was it was funny. Uh, it was one of those where I got a uh, always been concerned with making sure that you do and say the right thing so that you can help fill your calendar. Be the guy that everybody wants to call. Don't be a dick. Don't be a mm. sorry. Don't be a pain in the butt. You know, don't be that guy that people don't want to call because nobody wants to be around you. Do the right thing. Say the right thing. Learn to play the game. Yeah, yeah. And I was, I've always been real, real concerned with that. And I'm not the type of person to go off. Mm-hmm. But this guy pushed it to the point where I, I can tell you right now, I, I tell people this all the time. Some people are hotheads and I'll get mad but I can control how I react to it. But there have been a few times in my life where like somebody's pissed me off enough that I just popped them in the freaking mouth. Mm-hmm. And then when it was done, I kind of went, holy crap, I just hit that guy. Who is that person? I didn't do that. You know, but that's, I know that there's a, there's a point yeah. where I, I just don't, I'm not responsible for what happens beyond this. And it's a, it's way up there. You got to push me hard to get there. And this guy was pushing I mean, it, that's as close as I ever came to it. But I actually, I told him, I was like, look, just, I'm not your guy. Yeah. Pay me for what I've done and I'll leave. Get another guy. I'm not your yeah. guy. And I've never done that, ever. Well, at the end of the story, it's, it's, you're like, you're still working. Everybody's, you know, everybody involved in Nashville was yep. still working. This guy that came in, just, yep. you've never heard from him again. And as far as. Came in, acted like an ass and left. Yeah. And, and who it, knows what he's doing now. I don't. I have no idea. Yeah, you know. That's all the guys that were involved in the session. We're all still around. We're all still friends. Exactly. exactly. And we're all still working. Right. So right. it wasn't. It didn't affect any of us. So now that's that's sort of yeah. uh, confirmation that what we did was in anything. You can only take so much. Right. Right. You right. know. Well, again, I mean, I think if you have a chance, go check that. Anybody that's listening, go check that story out. It's pretty amazing. Um. Jazz world and LA's whatever LA is, but the, this Nashville's where the real guys are now. Like yeah. uh, all of them, you know. It used to be the sort of redheaded stepchild of the drum industry, and now everybody's going, "Wait a minute, Nashville's got real dudes, like real dudes, a lot of them." Mm-hmm. 
Nashville Drummer Jam. Uh, it's been going on for some time. We've got the seventh one coming up yep. in, uh, in about a month. Uh, how many of these have you done? Because I saw you... I think the only one... Ah, I know that I did... The, if I remember right, weren't the first couple the the Jerry Gasco like a benefit thing? Yes. Okay, did I did those? Okay. One was was a couple of playing Kings X tunes. Then they did a Jeff Picaro one, which I missed. And then um, Bonham. Yeah. I've done the, I did the Bonham one. So I did two Jerry. I've done all but one, I guess. Um, Bonham and then Bonham. Uh, then Neil was that the Neil one, the and then one? the Stuart Copeland. Okay. And then. Uh, and now this one. Cool. <clears throat> Have you seen it's it's been interesting to see it grow. Oh yeah. In popularity. Yeah. But what do you think it's done to the community in general? Or how has it helped the drumming community? I think if, if for everybody in Nashville, with but with the advent of, of internet, the fact that you can put these videos out on YouTube and, and Tom and David and those guys do such a phenomenal job of really pushing it where people that may not normally know what's going on in Nashville. Yeah. Suddenly there's a buzz about all these guys in Nashville. Yeah. And they really, really have done a phenomenal job of making, of pushing it out there and getting people involved, mm -hmm. getting it visible mm -hmm. to some kid that's in Denver, doesn't know anything about it, but he can go, man, all these guys that do all these country gigs and they all know how to play Neil Peart tunes <laughs> and they all get together and they play. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. It's... It's really cool, and the and the 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 coolest thing about it to me is there's so many varied guys from so many different backgrounds, right. but we all have the same influences. Yeah. And when there's a, if you're involved in it, there's I guess being in on the inside is a little different than being on the outside watching it. But when you're involved in it, it's amazing how fired up everybody is about it. Like, dude, as soon as we finish the 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 Stuart Copeland one. I mean, they were passing around ballots backstage, like, who do you want to be the next one? And everybody was voting, right? And which is why we've got the one we have now, which I haven't said. I don't know if you you can say it. It's revealed. <laughs> Alex Van Halen. Yeah, that is, I voted as soon as I saw his name. I was like, oh, Alex. There's just you could get a hundred guys. We could do this thing for three days. There's so much material. There's so much stuff, and everybody loves freaking Alex, man. Yeah. I mean, everybody comes. You know, now when you hear when you hear guys play drums in Nashville, they're not old school. The, the majority are not old school country guys. They're younger guys who grew up playing rock, and that's what those gigs are now. Yeah, you know, yeah, Rich playing Al Dean's gig, dude. That's like Bon Jovi. Mm -hmm. You know, it's a it's an arms over your head rock gig. Yeah, and Al is the, one of the freaking kingpins of that man. We grew all of us grew up watching yeah. him. Yeah. Well, yeah. what was your discovery of, of Van Halen or Alex? Um, actually, the first band that I was ever in, um, we didn't do any Van Halen tunes, but the singer had on a Van Halen shirt from the first tour, Van Halen 1. Yeah. And I saw this Van Halen. I think it was a picture with Alex had that silver kit with the, with the light up. Uh, had the mallets on fire or something. Okay. And I was like, what is that? And he said, Van Halen, man, they're great. Yeah. And then over just little bit by little bit, I ran into guys who had somebody had a cassette player, and I was like, what is that? Oh, it's Van Halen. And then the more I listened, the more I thought they were great, and they just kind of had that quintessential American rock band thing. Mm -hmm. It wasn't a British band who came over here and showed us how it's supposed to be done. It was These are hometown guys. Right. right. And it was the, the rock party thing, the 80s excess, that whole thing. 
And then they started doing, they did these records. Eddie was a monster guitar player and he yeah. became this iconic hero mm-hmm. and everybody would listen to it for, for that. Right. But it, if you listen underneath what was going on, like the, the, the harmony thing and the, and the pocket and the sound, dude, there's nobody to me today, nobody yeah. that one freaking backbeat, whop, and you know that's Alex Van Halen. Right. You right. just, he has the most identifiable sound, the way he hits, the sound of his kit, the stuff he plays. It's no denying it's him. Yeah. And you don't see many guys like that anymore. You just, mm. everybody's, it's kind of, there's a genericness to all the pop music that you go, eh, it could be this guy, it could be that guy. I don't really know. With Al, you know. Yeah. You just freaking know. Can you pinpoint something about that that gives um, him that thumbprint? Uh, the two things that, that stick out to me more than anything is he was one of the first guys I heard that kind of, in a modern sense, sort of did that Ringo thing riding on a crash cymbal where he's got those mm-hmm. those big crash cymbals that just mm-hmm. created that big wash instead of ding, 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 ding behind it. There was that washy thing. That's one thing I noticed. And, of course, the biggest thing is that freaking snare sound. Yes. Just that thick sounds like a two-by-four you know, eight inches thick, just whop. It's got this mushy, meaty kind of thwock to it. Yeah, and yeah. you just, I remember actually doing some of my first recordings and taping up a snare drum to try to get that sound. I was just, I just wanted it so bad because right. I loved it. And it's, when you hear those records, you hear that that thing, those big rock riffs, big guitar riffs, mm-hmm. and just that whop, man, it just occupies this you know, seventy percent of the mix is this just giant snare drum in the middle of it. Sonic space. Yeah, dude, it's it's it's, it's brilliant. There's yeah. nobody that's got a more identifiable yeah. signature to me than he does. Is there anything that you take away that you find? Hey, this is kind of an Alex thing I'm doing on my gig. Oh yeah, God, man. I mean, I you know when I was a kid, first learning how to play and having two playing two bass drums and stuff. Yeah. He does a lot of really really hip stuff. It, with with two bass drums, okay, and can make it work in a pop tune, and can do it, not necessarily. Some of them are the hot for teacher thing, where you have the whole tunes built around it, and others are just fills or just ideas or little things. Mm-hmm. But all this stuff is real; it's different. It doesn't seem to be. Um, it that's what always jumped out to me. It doesn't seem to be like the standard just booga 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 drum stuff yeah. there's always something on top of it hot for teacher was a cool double bass shuffle but that backwards ding 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 oh, right. that was so weird when i heard it i'm like what the hell is he doing yeah but it's perfect it falls in your hands great and it works and it makes that tune that freaking bell of that ride symbol is another giant part of that track yeah it's yeah. got to be there if you did anything else it just wouldn't be the same groove yeah. you know so all of those kind of things in conjunction with still the fact that he's got these phenomenal tunes that is that they that they do. His brother writes these tracks, these big giant riffs, and mm-hmm. you know this singable melodies, mm-hmm. and he gets to play drums behind him. <laughs> Dude's got it, best gig in the world, know. you know, and nobody could do it but him. I know that that's the thing. Yeah, and he's got the name, you know. Yeah, of course, that it helps. helps. <laughs> I, I really, I've said it a bunch. I think there's two things about those guys that that to me, it, the years later listening to him, I think that Eddie got a lot of press way back in the day in the guitar guitar hero days because he was one of the first guys to popularize that whole hammer-ons and uh-huh. that stuff uh-huh. and everybody in the 80s started doing it because yeah. he was he was just a visionary in that sense. Mm-hmm. One of the things he's overlooked for is his rhythm stuff. The riffs, the stuff underneath that okay. when when there's a vocal going on, the stuff he plays, that guy is just one of the best there's ever been. 
Right. And I listen more to that now than the Wheatley stuff. Right. That's cool, but just give me the the meat and he God. And then the other thing is, I really think Alex is one of the most underrated, overshadowed guys that there's ever been. Because wow. that band, anytime you say Van Halen, people go immediately Eddie Van Halen. Because right. he was such an iconic guitar player. Yeah. But you step back that. and look underneath and look what his brother's doing behind him. Mm-hmm. Dude, that guy's the real deal. Mm-hmm. I mean, every everything I've ever heard, and and every record that they do, you, it comes out. I don't care who's singing on it. Yeah, it's it's the rhythm, the background of that band is those guys, and it's he does some freaking amazing stuff. It's like and Zeppelin. You need every single one of those. Exactly. To make it's that just band. not going to be. It's just not going to be the same. And they did it with different singers, and they were able to work different. Right. You know, right. a different thing out of it. You know, the party rock stuff with Dave, and a little more. Thoughtful and musical-oriented stuff with Sammy, and they've done a bunch of different stuff sure. and whatever. But still, the, the the cornerstone is the two of them. They're the only two guys in the world. There's so many tunes that they have. I know you can you can agree with me on this. There's so many tunes that they do where the tune starts out and there's some sort of a riff and there's some sort of a thing playing, and you're going, where the hell is one? <laughs> and then all of a sudden, boom, and you go, oh, there it is. And they're the only two people on the planet that can hear where it is right. prior to the main big downbeat. It drives me nuts. I think what's that song right now where the, there's the keyboard riff? Yep. It sounds backwards. Yeah. It sounds backwards and depend on depends on what band you're playing with. Yeah. And the keyboard player. Yep. It's like, do you know where one is? Do you know where one is? Yeah, it is. There's, it's funny, but there's so many tunes that they have mm-hmm. that are like that. Yeah. They just start out with the two of them playing, and it's like, I have no... Panama. Panama did it for years. I don't know where one is. All I just know is it goes ding, 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 ding. Okay, there's one. Because yeah. I just, at Hoffer Teacher was one. For years, I heard it backwards. Oh, yeah. I still hear it kind of, if I, if I let my ear go there, I'll hear it backwards. But it just, it works. They make it work. Some guys are uh, talking about what song they're going to play. Yeah. Some guys are not. Um, for a long time, it was a secret who this tribute was going to be, but right. the cat's out of the bag. It's going to be Alex Van Halen. But uh, some guys are kind of holding on to what song they're going to play. So you got to come out December 14th and hear. Okay. Uh, is, uh, and some guys are like, no, no, I'm playing this song. It's going to be great. Blah, blah, blah. Uh, I, do you want to tell? Uh, mine's not a real, mine's going to be, uh, if everybody's holding on to it, I'll just hold on to it. But mine's not a big, uh, it's kind of a kind of an album cut. Okay. But it's great, and it's a Dave era t- a tune. It's okay. an earlier one. All right. So I'll give you the. It's it's off the second album. All right. And that's all I'm going to give you. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's it's not that big of a deal. But everybody everybody will find out. All There's right. There's going to be a lot. I think the majority of these the ones that everybody's picking for the most part are, are the early era Dave stuff. Mm. I think it's more. I think kind of more. Yeah. That way. Yeah. Yeah. And do you have a favorite but, record or a favorite song or anything like that throughout? Uh man, I got a lot. You were it's funny. It just it depends on the it depends on the era. It depends on what your the time of the band. There's so many. I listen to it so much. There's yeah. that was one of the things like when they said, okay, what what song do you want to do? And I started going through and I was like, God, that's a good ah, that would be cool too. Yeah. Ah, and I had like six or eight tunes. I had to narrow it down, you know. Maybe I'll do this. Maybe I'll do that. But I, the one that, that that really stuck out at me was this one that the one that I'm going to do, and it was like just because it's kind of cool. Yeah. It's just kind of hip. Favorite wise, man, there's tons. There's tons. I I personally 
thought that the record that the last record they did with Sammy Balance was a monster record. Just production wise, sound wise, it was gigantic. Yeah. It, it did have some hits on it, but it wasn't near like some of the other ones. Mm-hmm. Some of those other Sammy ones like uh like fifty one fifty, well it's some great tunes, some monster tunes on it. Yeah. It, if you listen to it side by side to some of the later stuff and even some of the Dave stuff, it's like it's just real squished, and there's not a whole lot of level. Interesting. And, like, Maybe this is this the time there. It could have been. I don't know. Style of production. Yeah, um, but the tunes are still great. Yeah. Um, man, Van Halen. Uh, uh, God. The, God. Maybe it's the mood you're in. I don't in. know. You're gonna pick up. Yeah. I, I mean, I will. I will put on a record, and I might. I really like the the uh, for unlawful carnal knowledge record. Okay. That's a big one. Um, as far as tunes go, it's it's a simple tune. It was a big hit. You just mentioned it. Um, I think that's a just a genius piece of work is right now. Yeah. Because yeah. the way that Al plays on that, on the verses, there's that one thing he does that's just so stupid and it's so perfect. <laughs> where Sammy's like, it, it's uh, at where he says, like, uh, don't want to wait till tomorrow. And the, the grooves, God, duh, till tomorrow. Duh, Stop this big open sizzly hi hat for like a whole quarter note, and that's Mm -hmm. all there is. Mm -hmm. And he does it every time in the verse. And it just every time it gets to that, I go, That is so freaking cool. It's little stuff like that. It's those little things. Yeah, the hot for teacher thing, it's great. Yeah. But the little subtle things are, and besides that, just where he puts the backbeat, the thickness of it, and he just lays it just right where it ought to be. Yeah. It's. Yeah, it's a great band. Fucking great band. It's going to be a good show. Uh, and uh, December 14th. Yep. The Exit In, Nashville. And Pat, I appreciate it, man. Thank you no so problem. much. No problem. Thank you, buddy. I talking. appreciate you letting me do it. All right. Cool. So there's Pat McDonald, everyone. Uh, that was awesome. I really enjoyed that conversation. Uh, a couple things that we touched upon. Uh, if you're at this point in the interview, you, you probably already heard it. But there was a couple things that he talked about. On his website, drumskull.com, the concepts, that's a cool thing to go. I know I talked about it in the interview, but you've got to check that out. Drumskull.com, D-R-U-M-S-K-U-L-L.com. You've got to read that article, The Gig from Hell. It's very entertaining. Also, there's a quote I've posted uh, about just being able to, you know, if you have an opportunity to, to showcase your chops, just do it. And I think that's been Pat's approach. And he talks about, you know, hey, I was just ignorant. I didn't know that you didn't blow chops over these country songs. And he just he just did it. And it worked well for him. Um, want to thank Mike Jackson for his extra help. He's making this sound good. And we put in some extra time to finish up three more videos for the Nashville Drummers Jam that's coming up December 14th at the Exit Inn. So Mike's helped me finish those. They're on our YouTube page. You can see some interviews talking about that, the tribute to Alex Van Halen that Pat is involved with. So uh, that's going to be great here in Nashville. Um, Also want to uh, just mention another quote. I've got a great message from a local drummer, Nick Amoroso, I believe is how you say his name. Uh, He wrote to me a couple weeks ago, I just wanted to thank you for the Working Drummer Podcast. I can tell it's a labor of love for you, and I've learned a hell of a lot from all of them. Hope all is well. That was cool. 
that reinforcement, that interaction is, is, is super helpful, everyone. And uh, Nick, thanks for posting that. So again, hope to see you December 14th here in Nashville. Otherwise, thanks for listening. Thanks for the support. And uh, keep in touch, and I hope to see you around. Thanks. Bye-bye.